Hey guys, if you want updates on our latest episodes, then be sure to subscribe to the Film Colossus podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, if you'd like to support the show and hear episodes ad-free, then subscribe to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash filmcolossus. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. My name is Chris Lambert. And my name is Travis Bean. And on today's episode, we discuss Lars von Trier's bleak, bizarre film, Melancholia. There's a strange meta quality to the film that consumes our conversation as we explore how the movie ultimately mirrors the human condition in the face of apocalypse. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> well, we're here to talk about a movie, but... I just kind of feel melancholy. Sad. Yeah. <laughs> do you really? I. It's funny. Heading into this, I was like, "How do you introduce this movie? Like, what is Chris gonna say?" And like, you just had nothing. <laughs> I mean, my nothing was being melancholic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, I. That was uh, a, that yeah. was a great Oscar-worthy performance on my part. I believed it. So yeah, it was. You heard. You heard the sigh at the beginning, right? Just that subtle, no words, just the sigh. That's a choice. <laughs> that I think is way beyond my experience level. It was good acting, but I I do have to inquire further because while you're putting on a show, while you're trying to act melancholic, I I do, my first reaction to what you were doing was like, oh, did this movie actually like kind of break you? Um, Maybe not break you, but put you in that melancholic mood. Like, did did this movie have that kind of effect on you? Uh, Jumping right into it, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, not as much the second time as it did the first time. Okay, yeah. Uh, so what what was the first time? Guide me through the journey. So I think I watched the movie for the first time. Man, I want to say I was in Ohio, but this came out in 2011. I left Ohio <laughs> in 2013, but I thought this had been out for a while before I saw it. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little... I'm a little unsure of if I saw it when I was in Ohio, when I was in Iowa, or when I first got to Austin. Um, (laughs) But I remember being interested in it because I saw Another Earth before I saw this. Yeah, I thought of that movie as I was watching this movie. It's just so funny to me that I don't know if there have been a movie that's existed that has like a planet coming closer to earth and being the, in the visual plane of earth, uh, in the modern era, maybe like historically that was something that was done. Mm -hmm. But in the time I've been alive, I don't remember a movie doing it. And yet two happened to do it in the same year. (laughs) Oh yeah. 2011. Wow. That's so funny. Like another earth to me feels so 2011, but melancholia, I think it's just because Lars von Trier, we'll get into Lars von Trier, I guess, but I just feel like his movies, I never, I love his movies, yet at the same time, like, I don't know how I feel about his movies, like, after I've watched them. I don't know how to describe it. And I think it's just because his movies are so bizarre and atypical of what I'm used to, that to me, they don't exist in a time and space. And like, they don't adhere to like what I, how I typically watch movies and perceive movies and criticize you know critique movies they're they're just so strange that this movie could have been made you could have told me any year and i would have believed it <laughs> 1942 <laughs> i i had never watched a lars von Trier movie aside from Ooh. melancholia so oh currently was, yeah this is the oh. only one i've ever watched oh wow i i went uh, through a whole thing i think early on in my movie watching career i would like just sit down and pour through like all the big movies from people so i watched like Dancer in the Dark and Dogville and Europa. Oh, Breaking the Waves, I guess that was the big one. Um, I I was acquainted with his work, but it, it's funny 
thinking about his his later stuff, Antichrist and on, they I feel like he found a groove that settles more into like what I like. I, I feel like he really found his voice in a way that like Melancholia to me is perfect territory to start with Flowers Montreal. Like to me this is when he's like at his best. Nice. I apparently this is part of a Melancholia is part of a trilogy. Yeah. Antichrist, Melancholia, and Nymphomaniac. That's interesting. Um well, so I watch it and I loved it, but I was really like it how it captured depression and the onset of depression and this kind of like episode really hit hard the first time I watched it to the point where one of the reasons I haven't watched it in such a long time, like it's if it's not a decade, it's approaching a decade. Okay. Even though I was so impressed by the visuals and the style and the performances was that it felt so heavy to me, but revisiting it, it, it was almost like, you know, the joke about monster movies, like the monster is always scarier until you see it. Mm-hmm. It kind of had that effect to where instead of being so heavy this time, I was actually laughing at it a little bit more, uh-huh. um, which is, just very dark humor but i think there's like a streak of dark humor in the movie i would agree with you. um so that was kind of a, a a unique twist on the experience but yeah i was never watched a lars von Trier movie and then was very like impressed by the first time but the second time yeah did it leave me in the emotional place that the first watching did interesting it, and do you want to like discuss what emotional place it left you in or do you want to get into it as we talk about the movie uh i mean on the first one it was just that heaviness like there was a sense of gravity uh like a black hole had opened up to keep with the the theme of space and i felt something a lot more existential and powerful and i mean i've never been diagnosed with depression i've had you know, circumstantial depressive episodes in college, Mm -hmm. you know, I liked a girl, we dated, she broke up with me out of nowhere and I was crushed for months. Like definitely like I'm saying it in a bit of a cheesy way, but it was actually like a psychological (laughs) low point for me. Yeah. Yeah. I was punching things. My hands were bloody all the time. Like not good, but and by punching things, not people inanimate objects. Um, But it's so uh, there was an emotional component that I recognize. And I think also just, you know, artists like writers tend to be a little more, I think, prone to episodes like that as well. Like I myself am typically very social, but can in social situations. I think a lot of people feel this, that battery, once it's depleted, Mm-hmm. you find yourself kind of like spiraling inward at times or looking for escape. So there was a lot of things that Justine was experiencing or demonstrating that were more intense or more exaggerated than what I felt, but they resonated. And that depiction on screen is something that I've never yeah, had, never experienced before in such a way that was such a spiral. And you kind of on that first viewing I felt trapped with her in some ways and trapped in that like depression and that pain and the movie felt like so much longer like if you had asked me prior to the second watch how long (laughs) the movie was I think I would have said three hours yeah I was genuinely surprised when I saw that it was two hours and ten minutes um which is still long but it actually moved a lot faster to me this time yeah it doesn't feel long at all yeah, so there was something in this second watch that didn't leave me quite in that same emotional place. There was more of a distance. There was more of a like entertainment rather than experience, which I did not expect. That's funny. I, uh, I mean, I, we can get into like my history of the movie, but I do want to dig into this a little bit first because I you reading like the black humor and how it isn't necessarily such a heavy movie. I love Lars von Trier and I especially love the way he talks. Uh, I like his interviews and everything. And what I've gathered from his interviews is like, this movie isn't necessarily about depression, 
um, he he seems to have an attitude of like making up a movie about depression, which he's had depressive episode. He suffers from depression. Like he thinks that's like disgusting. <laughs> like he can't he can't fathom why anyone would make a movie about something so dark. Um, so I I think to him this movie is more about melancholia, like the act of being melancholic, which there is. In my mind, anyway, I mean, I'm no expert, but there's a big difference between being depressed, which is like clinically diagnosable, you know, like something that happens to somebody, uh, something terrible happens to you and it sends you like down like this dark path. There's a difference between that and melancholia, which is this idea that it's the act of being melancholic, like you are just kind of overwhelmed with the emptiness of the world and that they're there's beauty to be found in the world. And I think that's what more melancholy is. Like there's this longing to find a deeper meaning in something, but you're constantly just noting, noticing all the hollowness that the world is. Um, and to me, this movie captures that. And Lars von Trier talks about the act of melancholy in a humorous way. Like he, he is, he is a melancholiac and he constantly notices all the empty rituals of the world. Like to him, that's why the wedding's in the movie because it's this big giant empty ritual that Justine is throwing herself into because she thinks like, oh, if I just like do this thing that makes everyone else happy, I'll be happy. But you slowly see over the course of the wedding, like it's not doing what she think it will. Um, and she's just stuck in the state she's in. He he yeah. talks about going to parties and stuff and how he, he can't have fun at parties because like all he can notice is everyone around him just they're they're there to be happy they think the act of being at a party will make them happy when really there's nothing but emptiness in a party like there's nothing deeper being retrieved from a party uh there, there can be things like people you can find that that meaning like people can go to parties for that but he always sees his people not doing that like they're just kind of blindly getting through and like it reminds me of at the end of the movie when Claire like wants to have wine, you know, on the lawn and have like a nice moment as the world's ending. Like she's clinging to the same that she thinks will make her happy, but like the world's still going to end. You can't do anything about it. Like that to me is the, that's melancholia. And that's what he's trying to capture. And like, I do think there's a bit of a ton in cheek, black humorist attitude about that in the movie. Yeah, just the way that you get the deconstruction of certain elements. Like, she deconstructs, I mean, not just the wedding, but her relationship. And as you're noting, like, getting into the idea that, uh, what did they say? Like, hurt people hurt people, or you can't be in, like, a healthy relationship until you're in a good place. Like, these external things aren't going to solve whatever internal issues that there are. Mm Mm-hmm. Unless you address those things, then it doesn't matter how many people you try to be friends with or (laughs) how many people you date or the job that you have. If you're like unhappy because of something, you're not going to uh, blindly move past it and just forget about it. It's something that maybe needs addressed a bit more. And seeing her try to go through (laughs) these rituals, whether it's the job, the relationship, the marriage, and none of it working, and how much that sends her reeling, is uh, it does add like a little bit. Like when she quits and like tells off her boss, there's something pretty self destructive, but also funny about that. Totally. It's just the way she keeps leaving her wedding, it's also like. (laughs) self-destructive but kind of funny at a certain point like uh, the way in which she is just all through uh claire what's the the sister's portion Uh uh-huh uh is also like yeah claire pretty funny to me as she's just uh, once she's through like the beginning part of her depression but she's like just kind of this wizened figure who's now disconnected from everything as everybody else freaks out yeah. it's like she went through her low point and now just has this disinterested distance to the whole thing yeah i volunteer took spoke about that as well and that like when you're a melancholy like you just all you notice is the hollowness and you you're more prepared for disaster or when bad things happen because like all you see are the bad things <laughs> like all you notice is like all the stupid shit in the world so I-, I think that really explains her demeanor is 
the planet's approaching like who cares if the world gets destroyed the world was an evil place like it's a good thing that this place is being destroyed but there's just nothing but su suffering and empty rituals bleak yeah bleak, which bleak, bleak. it's uh and in that way like yes it's bleak um but i also think to a melancholiac to somebody who sees the world that way it's not bleak like it's kind of a happy ending <laughs> that <laughs> all this stupid shit is being blown away and and to me that's what makes the movie fascinating like there's a sort of cognitive dissonance that's explored and that melancholia exists and then blind ritual exists like these two things exist in the world and there is a sort of middle ground of because of course in any ritual you can find great meaning and i von sure used this example of you could think of a movie as that where the plot is a ritual every movie needs a plot um and the ritual of and the plot is just the ritual like it's this thing that every movie does it gets you through blah 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 but if the movie isn't getting at something deeper that you connect to and you can reflect onto yourself and, and learn from uh, it's meaningless like it's a hollow movie and but if the movie's able to actually achieve this thing like well we've we've allowed this ritual to gain meaning so i think that's an interesting part of the movie is we're seeing these two extremes on each end and at first we get to watch justine's character like go through her extreme of like she just cannot make herself normal for the world she can't be a husband to alexander skarsgård or a, a wife to alexander <laughs> skarsgård in the way uh maybe she could be a husband if she really wanted to but um <laughs> and just and then when we go to claire's part she's unable to deal with the reality that the world could end that all of this you know all the riches and everything you thought you were doing for your life that was good and sensible like didn't matter because it can all go away in an instant um the movie explores those two extremes and i think it really it's it makes the movie a very like artistic in that way you know <laughs> like it's just it's more of a statement about life and like a state of being more than it's i don't think the movie is necessarily arguing that like oh like the world should end and like melancholia is like the way to go i think it's just kind of exploring that we all deal with this like we all know that feeling of melancholy and how it can overtake you and how we perform these rituals maybe to push it away and it's just kind of capturing the human condition in that way hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs, just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Yeah, there's something to the movie. If you view it literally which i think is what i was i mean obviously there's the very figurative element especially with the the planet called melancholia mm -hmm. but if you look at it as more literal in the sense that the depression wins and everything ends you could view it as very glass half empty um in a way like very tragic but there's also when you're looking at it as just more on the metaphorical level is that this doesn't signify the actual end of life or end of the world, but signifies just the way in which people navigate disaster in their lives and the different kinds of reaction to disaster in your life. It's not necessarily about a story that ends so much as it is about the process and the way in which we go through these things, yeah. deal with these things, confront these things and the different ways in which we see people trying to have control or let go of control. And I think it becomes very interesting to look at the aftermath 
of the movie uh, i mean obviously in the movie the planet's destroyed but mm-hmm. if you were to look at what does claire do next what does justine do next in the much more metaphorical sense is like the planet didn't get destroyed they just had these very bad episodes when it came to their panic and the things that kind of eat at them and gnaw at them what's next for justine does she Mm. start a new job can she start a new relationship is that where she goes does she find another like direction for herself that's a little more i guess what i'm trying to say is that the movie almost operates like a loss of innocence story if you're looking at it as a glass half full style and that having experienced what they've all experienced, they might come through it on the other end, on the other side of disaster as like, all right, so what is next? There's a little bit more of the philosophical route you can go down uh, that extends beyond just everybody dies. Yeah. I I think that pretty much captures Lars von Trier's mentality when it comes to movies. Like, I do think he's always trying to make a philosophical statement. And it's, it's, he strikes, again, he's just got the most interesting aesthetic. Like, he still is able to paint interesting characters and, like, give them life and personality and everything. But in that sense, they kind of are, they're just representations of like different parts of the human psyche. I mean, a lot of directors do that. I, like I just watched the seventh seal and to me, like that whole movie is nothing but that like grappling with the end of the world and like what's on the other side and being unable to handle death. Like every character in that movie is just different parts of Emar Bergman's persona. Uh, and that's, I, I guess that's how I'm viewing a lot of his movies. And I feel like what you're describing about this movie, like every character is just, different ways to think about the world and how you can either make yourself blind to something or just be completely overwhelmed by it and incapacitated by it um and in that way the the movie like gains it it has its own life in a way that like all of these characters are this are just the pulsating parts of reality and how tough it is to be human yeah very well said uh, well, so how did your second viewing? Was this your second viewing? It's my third viewing. Third. How's how's the progression been for you? It's been good. I I will say that when I watched it early on, I I don't think I not that I didn't like it, but and in my mind, like it wasn't as good as Von Trier's other material. Like I remember really loving Breaking the Waves and Dancer in the Dark, um, and thinking that those were just they're a little more. Um, um, like hardcore kind of like they're uh, they're kind of like in your face and they're just like more independent I guess is more what it is and melancholy is like kind of polished like it almost even though it is really bizarre and philosophical like it feels like like I had a budget <laughs> and it has all <laughs> these like great actresses in it and, it and it feels polished in that way I actually read something from Von Trier that he was a little sickened by how polished it was Um, because I think he wanted to make a movie that was more like it's about melancholy and depression like he wanted it to be a little more hardcore and it actually has like flair to it I don't know I I actually didn't really grapple what he was trying to say but I also sort of understood it so I I think that's how I kind of felt about the movie at the time is like it wasn't it just wasn't as cool (laughs) as his old movies um and I and I'm looking at my my ratings now. I watched it back in 2012, and that was right when I was watching all of his other movies. Um, but I watched it again. I think maybe last year. I think Lauren and I watched it um, just randomly. I I don't even know why we did. And I just was very taken by it. Like I, I had recently watched Nymphomaniac, and Nymphomaniac instantly became like one of my favorite movies. Um, so I was really excited to watch Melancholy again. And I don't think it reaches those heights for me personally, but I still like, I connected with it in a way I was ready for and was suddenly like, okay, like modern Von Trier is like where it's at. Um, and have since then watched the house of Jack built and loved it. So came to it again, this third time, like already loving it and probably felt the same way about it. Like really connected with it, like it a lot, uh, I think there are maybe a couple things that keep it from being like 
an all-time great for me but still really a really unique movie in the way it just dissects depression and melancholy <laughs> like how the way it explores like just that state of being is i don't know if i've seen another movie like this yeah i you know it's funny you say the things that keep it from being like top top tier yeah. i think that was the thing that i was kind of grappling with and surprised by is that i think i expected this to go when we ranked it into my favorites mm -hmm. list and i'm not sure that it does yeah um i think the thing that actually surprised me was how much smaller the film felt to me on the second watch um visually i mean you still have sure. some great visuals but it's like all the kind of surreal powerful things that i remembered didn't quite have the same lifespan that i thought that they did or the same like palpable presence you get that bit at the very beginning and that's really it for a lot of the movie until you finally start seeing like melancholia in the distance and it's a really cool shot and the ending's also like very cool but i just remember there being like a little more of the the pedal going to the floor mm -hmm. in terms of just what it was accelerating to what it was building up to and the payoff to all of that where on this watch as i was like waiting and waiting i was like oh that's it that's it that's it okay like in some ways it felt like another earth but with a much 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 like larger budget i guess it's not like a much larger budget 9.4 million for this yes, and another, earth, another earth had a budget of i mean i can't imagine it was 1.9 million yeah it's probably pretty small but no that was the box office i don't even know what the budget was then um oh a hundred thousand <laughs> wow really yeah oh my god that's really so, small so it's like some of the shots in another earth are done for a hundred thousand dollars and you get about as much like cinematic flair in that as you do in melancholia which is you know 900 times more expensive i mean if you're just talking about the planets part i guess i could see that yeah yeah so there's like i mean yeah like the setting the castle and everything <laughs> like it's and just like I, the handheld camera like it, the, to me that was a cool part of the movie i i noticed this time is like that that's what i expect from von Trier. like he's stripping away like the beauty of something like yeah you're at this castle but there's something gritty about the way you're exploring it you know yeah i i made me immediately think when i saw the handheld camera of uh inland empire oh yeah and just how much more <laughs> to von Trier's, <laughs> i guess hatred polished the use of the handheld is in this yeah. versus in inland <laughs> empire where it really feels like somebody got a camera from radio shack and is just yeah. like filming people in a room well lynch was uh, going for that feel i think yeah very much so but it just having experience in Lin Empire and what that can see in terms of like the floor of a handheld camera. I thought this was a nice, yeah, sure. <laughs> a nice middle ground. Um, but yeah, I was just a little more disappointed in the scope of the visuals. Like it's still like a beautiful movie start to finish and like very interestingly shot it's just all the kind of like next level stuff that i remember being so excited about did it quite have the same shine this time i know what you mean i still think the movie is really beautiful and i do at one point want to talk about the opening of the movie uh because i think that is spectacular as far as, as visually going um but i i I have just like, as I sat down to, to talk to you for this, I was sitting here like, I still don't know how I feel about this. Like, how am I going to talk about this movie? I keep like racing through a lot of thoughts. But this watch, especially since after recently watching Nymphomaniac and The House of Jack Bill and like realizing, just looking at just how those movies are shot and the visual poetry of them, I, I'm be able to grasp a little bit more what isn't quite hitting about melancholy because like again really connect to 
the point of the movie, the aesthetic of the movie, what it's going for. But I almost feel like on some level, it's inherently not flawed, but like only capable to achieve so much for me personally. Like, as I said earlier, I, I think Von Trier is trying to find, he's trying to visually display the sort of cognitive dissonance that goes on with any human being that's grappling between like ritual and melancholy and trying to find happiness in a world that largely is filled with bullshit. Like it, it's the movie, it's split between two parts, like literally <laughs> between like one woman who's just completely overtaken by melancholy and one woman who's like trying to blindly look past it and thinks like Justin needs to just man up and get over it. Uh, I, I think the movie just inherently in that way comes to signify that battle and it, you know at the beginning of the movie when it shows all of those images it, it Von Trier is basically just he's trying to remove the ritual you know the plot he tells you that the world ends <laughs> he removes that aspect from the movie like it, you head into the movie knowing all these things about the characters from these like painting like images he's given of you like Claire's feet sinking into the ground and Justine floating in the river like you get these senses about them like you know so much about them and you already have this context for the situations we're soon going to see them in you know like he's giving these very like artistic uh reimaginings of them so like you head into the movie like knowing a lot and by doing that, I feel like Von Trier is trying to strip away the ritual in a sense and just thrust you into like what is and what is real about being this way. And in that way, he kind of removes a lot of the beauty that I personally really like about the, the ritual of movies. Like I, I like going through all those things, like slowly piecing together the themes and all that. Um, but I do think it's interesting to approach a movie the way Von Trier did. And I think that's maybe as far as I can go with it. Like, it's a really interesting way to approach this topic and these kinds of people. But I feel like the way he did it, like he did it in this very artistic way. He did it to make a statement, like almost like it's a, an exhibit at, at a museum or something. But by removing like all the things I like about a movie, I feel like maybe he's diminished how much I can connect with it, um, even though that's the point. And by me saying that, I'm feeding into his point about like how we need the ritual, but I guess I'm saying in the end, like I kind of like the ritual. <laughs> yeah. Not all rituals bad. You know, <laughs> um, I, it's funny how we have different, like the same conclusion, but different reasoning. Uh -huh. Like uh, for me, it's just, it doesn't go far enough with some of those visual elements and like, uh, how weird it gets. Like the promise of that opening scene vanishes for a lot of the film until you get to the very end and some of the weird stuff st starts happening. Like I kept thinking about Donnie Darko. Mm -hmm. I feel like this movie and Donnie Darko are actually very spiritually similar. Sure. Um, uh, like kind of in some ways the same movie. <laughs> yeah, they but are in a lot of ways. One a little more like glass half empty and one a little more glass half full. Um, but like Donnie Darko, I think it has that initial promise of some of the like stranger, more fantastical elements and you get those sprinkled throughout the movie. You get more of a payoff on them. Uh, and I think I, I wanted just a little bit more of that. Another one that for some reason is coming to mind is sorry to bother you. I don't know if you ever saw that. I did. The twist in that is so insane to me. Uh -huh. But there's such a, a continued escalation and payoff throughout the film and not just in like a very small way that I just keep thinking about maybe this just needed a little bit more. Yeah. And it doesn't have it like a C plot, a D plot, like just something else. And I didn't get that. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I definitely don't need those things. And I mean, everything you're describing, again, I feel like Von Trier just actively was like, I'm not doing any of that stuff. <laughs> like he just wanted a very like straightforward kind of stripped of just like there's no flair, really. 
like th there is flair in the sense of, like you see like the planets and stuff and there are these big beautiful shots of the garden like there's beauty in the movie visually but uh, he almost is purposely removing beauty from it in a sense like he doesn't want all of those things you're describing in there he kind of wants you to just steep in what is and i really respect that but i and i don't necessarily need all the things you're describing but i do also think at the same time respect is kind of the furthest i can go with it uh as far as like the presentation of it um i feel like it, he could have done it in a way that better i mean i don't mean the armchair quarterback and like i <laughs> tell him how to make the movie or anything um but me personally i feel like there's just there could have been more of a i guess more of a flair like i don't necessarily need like more plot like I feel like maybe that's what you're getting at a little bit where like, sorry to bother you. Like just like keeps throwing like curveballs at you. And you're like, Oh, this is what the movie's doing. Like, I don't necessarily need that, but I do think there's just something. All I can do is really think about Nymphomaniac and the house of Jack built. Like to me, those movies like go there that they, they do these things. I'm like, Oh shit. Like this movie is on a different level philosophically um, without needing to like twist the plot and make it something beyond what it is. If any of that makes sense. Yeah, I think I just wanted more, like, not necessarily even plot, but just more of, like, the fantastical to have, like, a little bit more room to breathe. Yeah, but, right. Uh, there are a few things that I did, like, really love um, in no specific order, but just kind of what they're jumping to mind. When she sleeps with Leo on the golf course, Yeah, I love the fact that Von Trier keeps it as like a, a a long shot, a wide shot away from the characters because for Justine, it's a very dispassionate act. It's not something she's doing out of any sense of passion. And so keeping the camera at a distance kind of lends it that sense of distance and disconnect that she's feeling towards the act mm -hmm. as it's just something purely self-destructive to do. Yeah. Uh, like, to cross a bridge and know that there's no turning back from it. So I really like the nuance of that choice. It's a small thing that I don't think a lot of people would necessarily be like, Oh, I get why he did that. But it's one of those choices that adds that emotional subtext to it or that psychological subtext to it. That's really great. Um, the other thing was that I'm somebody that believes that more films need to front load information and allow us to have the knowledge and then be curious about what the characters are doing. I think a lot of movies that rely on mystery or twists don't have a lot of rewatch value because they hide the information from the viewer. And sometimes characters in the film have the information. And so the big thing for the viewer is just like, what's actually going on what's actually going on and then once you know you're just kind of like okay that's right <laughs> hateful eight is the movie that jumps to mind <sighs> when i think about that because there's so much of like what is going to happen what is going to happen and then the twist happens and you're just like that's it like that's all okay it takes out all of the tension from the movie for me from then on where if the movie had started uh, literally with that scene that we end up flashing back to for the twist mm -hmm. I would have been so much more interested in knowing like alright this thing is like the bomb is there that's what Hitchcock did a lot of right Sure. Yeah. you would see a character put a bomb under a car and then people get in the car go driving around and you're just sitting there with the tension of like I know the bomb's there the characters don't know the bomb's there when's the bomb gonna go off when's the bomb gonna go off when's the bomb gonna go off that is really cool to me. So Von Trier had a quote that said, in a James Bond movie, we expect the hero to survive. It can get exciting nonetheless. And some things may be thrilling precisely because we know what's going to happen, but not how they will happen. In Melancholia, it's interesting to see how the characters we follow react as the planet approaches Earth. And that was him talking about the fact that we as the audience at the very beginning know that the planets collide. Yeah, right. So what's that mean when all of this is going on and kind of uh, framing everything? I really love that choice. Part of me also 
I think wonders if the opening scene is a vision that Justine's having and is yeah. how she kind of knows where events are going to go, how That's she knows the world's going to end. Like I was, I was thinking about that and actually when the movie ended, went back to the start of it and you kind of get like that close up on her face, her eyes opening at the very beginning, which could, it just could be like a very disconnected, um, non-diegetic thing that the movie's showing us as preparation for what happens, almost like a, a preview of things to come, but given Justine saying that she knows what's going to happen and has this idea, is there a point in the movie where she mentions kind of being in her wedding dress and dragging these black tendrils? Yeah. Um, like the, I wrote down that quote because I really liked it. I'm trudging through gray woolly yarn. It's clinging to my legs. It's really heavy to drag along. Yeah. That's from the opening. Yes. So either the movie is either that opening is kind of just, previewing everything or summarizing the things or that's what she saw and then we're hearing her describe it later and it kind of serves as this like dream sequence and part of the reason why she's like having such a hard time at her wedding is because she knows what's about to happen that's interesting i would argue that both are happening (laughs) (laughs) here and i got this quote from von trier because he talks about the opening of the movie I've always liked the idea of an overture that you strike some themes and typically we would have made an image of special effects. We would have made an image of special effects of something we found would happen at such a collision. This is very weirdly worded. Even though the plot itself just hints at the disaster in close-ups. I thought it would be fun to take the images out of context and begin with them instead. That gets rid of the aesthetic in one full blow. Which I think is interesting. Like... I feel like I get what he's saying that again, you just remove like the, what you expect movies to do by just like telling you everything at the beginning. And, and in that way, I think he, I feel like he just strips away like all of the stuff he thinks is bullshit in movie and just kind of thrust you into like what the movie is. But at the same time, I like the idea of it being Justine's vision because he wrote, Basically, when he wrote the character of Justine, he was writing himself like he was just writing her in the way he saw the world and how difficult it is for him to like go to a wedding, basically, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so since they're spiritual, spiritually connected in that way, it, it almost like the movie is like the beginning of the movie is her vision because it is just the way Von Trier is like picturing these characters and what they're going through. And someone who's a melancholiac just sees through the bullshit and sees the hollowness of what is and viscerally feels all of the the hard things about life. So I think that's what he's expressing here at the beginning of the movie is just just how difficult it is to be these people and what they're going through. And and in that way, it's it's kind of what it's just how Justine already sees the world. She might as well have seen it in a vision. <laughs> It's true. I do like that connection with uh, Von Trier and kind of that meta element of he's Justine. He had a vision for the movie. Justine also has essentially the vision of the movie. Right. And (laughs) grappling with that. It's funny, too, because you do then have what could be viewed as like a strange subplot with her boss and the boss hounding her for... Oh, was it the tagline that he wants? Uh, yeah. She was like the marketing director. Yeah. And so he keeps like pestering her for the tagline, which is this kind of creative thing, like trying to get this idea, this inspiration from her and hyping up her genius and ability with it. You can almost start to view the movie in some ways as, uh, I mean, almost about like the creative process in a way and Von Scher grappling with his own work and ability to work and like story ideation and creation and what that demands from him, what that takes out of him, the process of it. So there's kind of a potentially a subtextual layer of that, of just like the act of creation. Sure. That's really cool. I like that. Hmm. 
Um, I will say really quick what maybe my favorite part of the movie. Not really my favorite, but the part that gave me the most joy and made me wish like there was more of this in it was, I mean, Udo Kier is in this movie who I absolutely love. He's the wedding planner. He's just one of the best character actors ever. Um, and I just love him in this movie. <laughs> I think he's hilarious. And when he like refuses to look at Justine because he ruined her wedding and every time he walks by her, he puts his hand up so he can't see her. <laughs> yeah. It was making me laugh pretty hard. Yeah. It's just the one like when he's going by in the party and just hand over his face. And he's also the one that, uh, talks about the beans right yeah the beans he's like there's 686 beans yeah she's like what the people <laughs> of the party will want to know who won no no they don't <laughs> and then justine I, knows how many beans are in there yeah how did she know how did she know uh i Kiefer sutherland i i never watched 24 i haven't seen I it either I don't think I've ever actually watched him in anything other than this. That's impossible, right? I've seen him. I mean, I haven't seen him in a ton of things, but I've mostly seen him in like older movies. I mean, I didn't watch Twin Peaks. Let's pull up his. Uh, Dark City I saw in college, but don't remember like a single thing about. Phone Booth. Okay. (laughs) I should remember Phone Booth. I don't remember him in Phone Booth. He's the caller. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, that's right. Of course. Yeah. But I always forget that his voice is as deep as it is. Uh Uh-huh. So that, like, jarred me every time he talked. I was just like, oh, man, Kiefer's Kiefer's voice. It's funny how much this also kind of reminded me of Succession. It could feel like an episode of Succession, just with how the mom was, how kind of disconnected the dad was. It has a very succession-y aesthetic as well. And Alexander Skarsgård is in both. Interesting. Yeah, another mo- show I have not seen. Yeah. S- succession heads will get it. They'll be like, yes, Chris, great point. <laughs> it's funny. Whenever I think of Keith or Sutherland, I just think of the movie Flatliners. Have you ever seen that? No. It's uh, it's it's the most 90s movie ever. It's a Joel Schumacher movie. And... um. It's just about these people who flatline, you know, they go on the verge of they die so they can enter like this, the the limbo and they go into this weird realm and then they their their friends have to bring them back to life, you know, at the right moment before they actually die. It reminds me of something that we did in like sixth grade, you like put each other in headlocks until we kind of like started to pass out like brown out. And uh, you guys had fun doing this? Uh, For like two weeks. And then we're just like, this is dumb, isn't it? (laughs) Two weeks? Yeah. I would hope that would end after like five minutes. It wasn't like it was happening a lot. It was like one person did it on recess and you're just like, oh my goodness. And then the next day (laughs) somebody else would like try to do it. And you're like, oh my goodness. Every day I get another piece of the Chris puzzle. Yeah, I think my one friend was like faking it a lot for attention, but he was the one like often volunteering. He's like, do it to me and he'd like <laughs> flop over. Have you checked in on that guy, by the way? Is he still doing okay? Uh, last time I saw him, he was on Massling Court TV. Um, <laughs> he had been arrested okay. and was being sentenced for jail. Oh, man. Well, you know. I mean, so maybe the brain cells... <laughs> Yeah, cell damage. Was you real. might have done that. Oh no! Uh, so <laughs> melancholia. I forget how we got there, but <laughs> Don't know. we were talking about Keith Sutherland. By the way, I'm looking at his letterbox page. He's been in 102 movies, which is pretty crazy, and I've seen nine of them. I guess I've seen like two or three. <laughs> um, it's his character takes such a like a chicken shit way out. Oh yeah. It's uh, pretty gross. I feel the way like he just abandons his family. Well, again, though, I you're reading into the dark humor of the movie. Like, I almost I view that as like a funny moment, almost. Not that like, obviously, suicide is not funny, but it, the fact that he's like he's so sure of himself and is such 
Like he's just so annoying and how sure of himself he is and how the way everyone else should be. And like, just listen to me. I know what's right, blah, blah, blah. And then for the second, for it all to be bullshit, he just takes his own life because he can't deal with the way reality actually is. Like to me, that's just a moment where Von Trier is chuckling to himself as he writes it down. <laughs> when it gets at the exploration, like the kaleidoscopic aspect of how people are responding to melancholia, right? Like he was trying to have control. He was putting on a brave face for a lot of the movie. So his way of dealing with his stress, his anxiety, his grief was to try to like tell others how to be, what to be, how to think, like try to have this sense of control and hide everything versus Justine, who's just like, lets it all out there. Yeah. Uh, versus Claire, who really like, I, I feel like Claire's a little less defined than Justine in terms of her panic or does it at least get the same treatments? But there is kind of that like pretending that things are, all right in a different way than Kiefer Sutherland's character. Right. But that you have the different ways in which they're dealing with melancholia. So all three are very like important pieces. Even Alexander Skarsgård's character and the way in which he deals with Justine, like trying to put on this brave face, like trying to be patient trying to accept blame, but also like, <laughs> <sighs> not dealing well and eventually just like walking out yeah like claire and justine claire says something to justine at some point like you can't let michael know who you really are like you have to keep trying to like get past this melancholy and be a normal person and justine's like i know like i know i need to do it and and michael leaving is basically the acknowledgement of that like i think he just realizes that she's a lost cause that this estate he's gonna buy her can't cure her sadness and it's just him giving up on it yeah i wonder like i doubt he saw her on the golf course but we see him looking out the window a few times like he was keeping tabs on her i feel like if he saw her with uh leo he probably would have been a bit more <laughs> angry but it's uh, the rejection he was feeling was definitely real it, it was a combination of that and i think the fact that um Justine told off his father in real life, but his boss in the movie, Stellan Skarsgård, who after he told him off, after she told him off, uh, Michael kind of follows suit. Like he also leaves with the boss because he, the whole reason they were together in the first place is like they, they were just connected through work. And the fact that she turned her back on work and insulted his boss, like, was too much for him. Like, to me, that's just a Varn Trier's artistically way of painting this situation of, like, she's just unable to be part of this work world. And now this regular work world is turning her back on her in the form of Michael. Like, he can't handle the way she, she can't even, like, come up with a tagline. So, like, I can't really be with her. <laughs> it, there's definitely that aspect of okay, it already seems like she's being self-destructive with, like, me, and now she's, like, I mean, Michael, or the boss was the best man. Yeah, right. So it's, like, they're obviously close, and the fact that she's already being weird towards him and now, like, essentially calling off his best friend. Yeah. Or calling out his best friend and being so shitty, it's, yeah. It's, uh, the dominoes are falling. Yes. Hmm. I anything else? Mm, no. I I still think it's a really interesting movie. Like I like it a lot. I just wish I could like it more. Yeah, that's how I feel. Where I went in thinking that this was going to be one that I was like gushing over, I came out just like a little more uh not lukewarm, but cooler on than yeah. what I expected. But I do want to say the hot take of this is a better space movie than Interstellar. <laughs> most space movies are better space movies than interstellar <laughs> it's just the thing that gets me about interstellar is that you barely have any space shots aside from just being inside the ship and then you get to a black hole at one point and the shot of the black hole is spectacular but it lasts like two seconds 
And then it goes back to the interior of the ship and then some close-ups of the ship like in the black hole, but you don't really get a sense of space. Right. You don't really get this sense of epic visuals. They make for great still images that you can share on social media, but it's not a great cinematography across the movie that you can dive into the way that you can with 2001 or even this or another Earth. I think the the use of celestial elements is so much better in this than in interstellar and you don't even go into space in this movie yeah i'm just nodding my head in agreement hmm all right we're gonna rank this guy thing yeah let's rank this um okay for all those uninitiated we have a big <laughs> grand ranking of all the movies we've watched in the past year slash year and a half um my list is a little longer partly because I have no life and do nothing but watch movies, but I also started my list a little earlier than Chris. Uh, right now, my list is up to 505 movies. Ooh. That's a good amount of movies. And Melancholia is... It was a lot higher. Not a lot higher, but it was a little bit higher uh, before I started, before coming into today, because I did watch it in the last year, so I had it ranked. I moved down the ranking. I think it was at number like 110-ish. And I moved it down to 160. Oh, man. Okay, so it dropped Which, that like, many positions. It's still in like great company. Like it's, in my mind, it's still just near a bunch of amazing movies. So <laughs> uh, there's just a lot of movies on the list. So it could maybe sound like it's a huge drop, but it wasn't really. What do you have Blade Runner 2049 at? 2049 uh <laughs> right, let me go down to the bottom of the list here <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh 465 okay i was trying to figure out i hadn't put this on the list yet and i'm trying to figure out where i'm putting it let me offer up my sandwich really quick while you're going through that oh yeah, yeah. um at the top of the sandwich we have saboteur which hey we're talking about alfred hitchcock that's a hitchcock movie from 1942 then blade Hey, I like this sandwich. Then Melancholia. <laughs> then Parents, which is like, it's an 80s horror movie about this kid, this little kid, like this little boy who finds out his parents are like killing people and eating people. Oh. It's pretty good. Um, and then The Squid and the Whale. Okay. That's quite the sandwich. It's really, that's a really weird sandwich. But, um, you know, I like the eclectic sandwich. It has lots of different <laughs> toppings on it. Yeah. It's like you have anchovies and peanut butter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm up to uh, 174 movies uh, since July of 2022. And I have Melancholia. This is subject to change. I have it right now in the impressive category, which is like, you know, 10, 9, 8, I guess. Out of the 10 categories, it's number 8 in terms of the, the level. I could see it going up, but I currently have it at 44 overall. And the sandwich above it, 42 is After Sun, 43 is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, then Melancholia, and then 45 is Blade Runner 2049, and then 46 is Saltburn. Hmm. But I could see bumping this up as I'm sitting with it. I like I also have Napoleon at number 48, and I think I might be bumping that up as well. You started to say Napoleon, and I thought you were going to say Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, no. <laughs> Which I guess I don't have a problem with, but I was just like, it, it just made me think of that movie for the first time in like 10 years. When I watched that, I only watched it one time in high school, and I was not a fan. I wasn't really either, but I kind of want to watch it again. Like, I, just for the sake of like transporting myself back to 2004 or whenever it came out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, um yeah so currently 44 but with the potential to rise yeah gosh i i'm kind of in the same boat that like i could see myself moving it's just it depends what day you ask me like today when i the things i'm thinking about i don't like the movie bring it down but if i was really focusing on the things i like about the movie and i was feeling very melancholic one day maybe i would bump it up but for now that's where it's at yeah it's like typically i think i'd Put it in the wow category because it does have like a sense of epic about it 
but also it's so actually small mm -hmm. that hmm. yeah well okay well chris we're at the end of the show which means i now get to pick the next movie yeah and what I'm going to do is I'm going to double the amount of Lars Frontier movies you've watched. Oh, <laughs> beautiful. I'm going to choose The House That Jack Built. Okay. Uh, I watched it just a few months ago, and it was the kind of movie where the second I watched it, I wanted to watch it immediately again. Um, time doesn't necessarily permit me to do that anymore, but I was just like very anxious. Like, I think like I think I get this movie. I really want to love it more than I do, but like, I think I need another viewing to like fully grasp it. <laughs> so this is my chance to do that. Okay. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm really interested to hear what you'll say. I, more than anything, I just want to talk through it. I, I feel like talking through Melancholy was good. Okay. Well, I will definitely have thoughts. That's for sure. Yay. Perfect. All right. You ready to end this? Yeah. Okay. Everybody's watching us. Like I'm looking over at everybody. They're quiet. They're just like eyes are wide and they're they're dripping with anticipation over here. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Okay. Dripping with anticipation. Sure. <laughs> Lights. Camera. See ya. See ya. I think we did it that time. Yeah.